Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Oh oui, Partey. Oh oui. Oh oui. Oh oui, ce qu'a fait Thomas Partey pour Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang lancé. Et de deux pour Arsenal Et le sourire de Boukayo Saka Boukayo Saka 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 Boukayo Boukayo Saka This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing today? You alright? I am alright. How are you doing, given the fact that your household has had a a new, beautiful, four-legged addition? This is... (laughs) this is fantastic. Yes, and not a mutant human, which I think, you know, is, would be a fair assumption, potentially, given that description. It is a puppy, a French bulldog called Belle, has arrived on Friday, uh, and she is tearing my life and my furniture apart at great speed, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Awesome, awesome. We will have uh, lots of puppy talk, I'm sure, yeah. when the football gets a bit more shit. We can just talk yeah, exactly. puppies and dogs and stuff like that. It's good we can always default back to that, but... Maybe this is a day to actually talk about football again. Maybe, maybe. Look, it's been a good spell. It's been a good spell since the Chelsea game. I know Palace was a really disappointing game. Uh, the nil-nil was frustrating because, you know, we, we expect more and we sh- I think we were right to expect more. But when you look back, just step back and look at where we were and look at where we are now a few games later. It's 13 points from 15. I think if you'd looked at those games and said to people from those five games, if you're... If if you if you were offered 13 points you'd have taken them because you'd be looking at it going well probably a draw against Chelsea would be all right and then if we can beat those teams that we're sort of expected to beat it would be a pretty good return um from from those games so you know all in all i think we've got reasons to be encouraged by what we've seen yeah Definitely. And I, I saw actually uh, a stat from Tom Werville saying that after last night, it's the first time in Arteta's reign in which Arsenal have con- created better chances than they've conceded over a 10-game stretch. So, you know, results aside almost, our performances on an underlying level over mm. the last 10 games seem to be improving. And yeah, I mean, the recent trend has been much better. I think it's able to you're able to kind of deal with the slight frustration of the Crystal Palace game. I think better in the yeah. context of the Newcastle one. Um, yeah, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed last night, particularly the the goals we scored, which were excellent for sure. Look, second half 
superior to the first half, it's mm-hmm. fair to say. Nevertheless, we did create chances. Let's just go back a little bit, though, in terms of team selection. Uh, Thomas Partey in the side, uh, you know, for the first time since the North London derby. So that was really encouraging. And I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about him in a bit more detail in a while. Cedric in a right back for Hector Bellerin. Beyond that, though, pretty much everything as you would more or less expect. Louise kept his place ahead of Gabriel Kieran Tierney back, uh, you know, at left back, which is important. So there was a bit more balance to the side, you know, given Tierney's uh, um, return. And, and Partey in midfield, of course, gives us gives us plenty. But just anything from the starting lineup that, that worried you or excited you or anything? No, not really. Yeah. I wondered about David Luiz. I wondered yeah. if he would keep his place um, just because Gabriel is available again. And, uh, you know, I think having a left footer there is clearly something Arteta cares about. But, you know, I had no issues with that. Cedric um, seemed like an obvious rotation to me. I actually mm. thought Hector didn't have his best game against Newcastle. I don't mm. think he was bad, but I just thought he looked a little bit off it in some moments. And, you know, that's why you have a squad. No, I think other than that, it sort of picked itself. Just really exciting to see Thomas Partey in that team. And you forget, you know, for the amount of money mm. we spent on him, the size of the signing that was, we've really seen so little of him. Um it's weird because he is a new signing and he's also like a new signing. He is. Well, let's, you know, seeing as we're talking about him, uh, you know, he did 67 minutes last night after getting 20-odd minutes against Palace the other night. So, you know, there's a there's an element of common sense being applied yeah. to his return, which I think is very pleasing. Um, and his importance to this team, I think is obvious because of the kind of player that he is. And he mm-hmm. is, I think, without really getting out of second or third gear, you could see just the levels that he has in terms of the quality, uh, the passing, the positioning, the intelligence he has on the pitch, the uh, the passing range, as we saw in the... I mean, it wasn't terribly difficult what he did for the Aubameyang goal, but it was just... Sometimes simple things are so effective, and we we do the wrong simple things, you know, rather than go backwards or sideways. He went forward. Um, yeah. and, and just, you know, you can see how in the coming weeks and in the coming months when he gets fully up to speed and properly match fit, what he brings to an area of the pitch in which we have needed an increase in quality for some time. Definitely. He's, he's a much more dynamic player, I think, than most of our other midfield options. Mm. And... You know, I think in the last podcast, I sort of downplayed his creative uh, contribution and he really showed me up with a fantastic pass for that Aubameyang goal. But I think you're right. It's about the simplicity of it. It's about uh, being brave on the ball, you know, making bold attacking choices and and also just moving the ball quickly, you know, getting it and giving it. Uh, I thought he was really excellent. I was really relieved as well when he came off. I thought... Thankfully, we're managing him correctly in the situation because he's going to be so important to us in the second half of this season. Well, I mean, I think the important, uh, one of the important aspects to his removal was the fact we were 2 0 up. You know, I wonder what would have been the case if we were still searching for goals or looking for a goal to go ahead because it would be very difficult or certainly much more difficult to apply that uh, fitness based 
common sense to a situation where you need him on the pitch, mm-hmm. you know. So it was really important that we got those goals, and he obviously, he obviously played a part. Uh, I'm really, ex- I have to say, I'm really excited about him uh, and what he can bring to this team, and and how he starts to connect with the players around him. You know, it's not yeah. that. Uh, I'm I'm seeing any incompatibilities or anything like that. I think he's so good that he just he understands the players around him whether they quite understand him or not yet remains to be seen. Um but but you know just waiting for him to get fully match fit and and becoming the dominant presence in a midfield. You know, I think it's quite interesting to consider, you know, someone like Granit Xhaka, who I thought was good again last night, and I think mm-hmm. in general has been good since the Burnley red card, which, you know, frustrated us all and caused us a lot of angst and anger and, and what have you. But we have to acknowledge, I think, that he has been he has been good since that uh, incident. You know, Xhaka is a, is a very dominant personality himself in midfield. Mm-hmm. He wants the ball. He wants to be you know, on the ball and dictating play. And I think he might just have to reconsider elements or aspects of that part of his game. I'm not saying he has to be deferential or defer to Partey, but he has to recognize that he's got a player in there with him who wants to and can take a measure of responsibility that perhaps some of the partners that Xhaka has played with haven't been able to do. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I think you're right to say Shaka has that in his personality, kind of as his default, but you almost wonder if, is it also a bit of a function of the midfields he's played in at Arsenal and the teams he's played in, that kind of need to take total responsibility uh, and step up. I think that might be due to, as you say, some of the partners Mm. he's had. I thought there were some more encouraging signs from that partnership. I mean, uh, you know, their most their most frequent pass was to each other, but I thought that, um, you know, you could just see a little bit of balance coming into it. I didn't think Partey was isolated as he was in the Leicester game, for example, way back when. I, I think Shaka, you're right, might have to show a bit of humility and a bit of deference and a bit of understanding that it's not all going to go through him. I mean, I think he played more than 100 passes last night. Um, But I I am encouraged by what we saw. And I I do still think that that if we can make that work, for me, that's that's our best Mm. pair. On, Um, On paper, yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of balance, in terms of overall quality, in terms of you know, what we can get from these players, you know, it's, it's, we're heading into a period where it's difficult, not that he can't play or won't play or anything like that, but we do have to be mindful that there are some players in the second half of the season who are heading towards the end. And Mm -hmm. like it or not, that does make a bit of an impact on, on performances, whether it's subconscious or whatever it is, you know, Danny Ceballos, probably isn't going to be here next year. More than likely is not going to be here next year. David Luiz, more than likely not going to be here next year. So there are elements that we have to take Mm. into account there. And I think whether Xhaka is here next year or not, you know, his his contract situation at least suggests that there's a chance of that happening and there are other aspects of midfield and and, uh, who might go and who might stay that would put Xhaka in a stronger position than most if you're considering what kind of squad we're going to have for next season. So I just think, you know, we have to be mindful about, you know, the, the psychological aspect, whether it's psychological or whatever it is. It's just about what we're building towards uh, and if Shaka stays next season 
I hope we do something in the transfer market, which means he's not our second best midfielder. Like if he's our third best midfielder and he's still going to have a part to play, then I guess I'm on board with that. But it's about trying to, 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 create and form something that we can make a platform from going going forward i agree and i think to be honest it feels to me almost like arsenal have kind of made their mind up on sabios i would be really surprised if he was here next season um, and i think he might have made his mind up to an extent from what he said publicly about wanting to go back and, and play for yeah. madrid uh, and given that you know how wise is it to kind of invest and develop a partnership that may not be pickable beyond the end of this season mm. I'm not sure so yeah I, I, like I say it's Shaka and Partey's it's their shirts for me and they need to try and make it work and it might be that Shaka needs to uh, swallow something in order to do that mm. but um, let's wait and see certainly they were better in tandem on the, in this game than they were the last time I saw. yeah look I mean how often have they played together what three very, times very little yeah. you know it is it is an area of the pitch in which an element of understanding is is really important um, you know to build a connection with your partner in central midfield you know to have to have the trust and, and sort of the knowledge that you need same at, at centre half as well to an extent in that you need to to, to understand that, like, okay, if he sees me going here, he knows to drop in. Or if I'm going to challenge for this ball, he needs to cover behind or whatever it might be. And just sort of being able to read each other's movements and, and the way that they play, uh, you know, it, it will take a little bit of time. But I think there were some encouraging signs there. Also, hugely encouraging, once again, Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, mm. I was going to say, I mean, maybe Arsenal's second best midfielder is Emil Smith-Rowe, well, if you want to count him. OK, I'm sort of talking as somebody who might play in that in that double yeah, pivot. Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. see Smith-Rowe in that, but, but uh, and let's not get ahead of ourselves with Smith-Rowe. I love <laughs> him. I fucking, I love watching him. I love, I watched his interview last night after the game and he was so... Mm-hmm. He was so humble and you could see him trying to remember the media phrases that he'd been taught, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in other way that mm-hmm. young players these days, they get, they get this media training and he was like, what is it? Oh, the squad is stronger together. Yeah, that's where I go with that one. Yeah, that's good. You know, but I really liked how humble he was and, and the, the way he wants to take his opportunity. But, you know, the, 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 the inexperience he has in front of the camera yeah, doing those interviews is almost the antithesis of what you see from him on the pitch because he is inexperienced. Yeah, he is really inexperienced. Of course he is. He's only played six Premier League games or whatever it is for, for Arsenal, only five this season. But the way he plays the game is just so enjoyable. And we mm. can all talk about the assists and we will, I'm sure, talk about the creative aspects of his game and, and how he combines with people going forward. But really early on, and one of the features of the game, uh, his performance last night that I really liked was the, I don't know if you call it defensive exactly, but the number of times he sort of nipped back in to take the ball off the toes of a Newcastle player who wasn't expecting a a nominal number 10 or whatever you want to call the role that he is playing in, you know, they don't expect that that guy to drop back as far as he did and to to be doing the defensive work that he did and and it was it was evident early on in the way that he played. He's really I mean, you talk about players buzzing around the pitch, that's kind of what he does. And Absolutely. and to me I, obviously, I'm hugely encouraged by the 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 
what he brings to the attack and the way he he combines with Saka and, and Lacazette. You made a point of that as well. Aubameyang, he created a really good chance for Aubameyang too. He was involved yeah. with Aubameyang for, for the Saka goal, you know, uh, popping up on the left-hand side. Uh, you know, all of those things are brilliant. But the all-roundness to his game is just, you know, for a, for a 20-year-old who is so inexperienced, it's massively encouraging to me because a lot of that isn't stuff you, I mean, you can teach it, you can coach it and everything else, but but it looks very natural. Yeah, it does look very natural. And to be fair, he's kind of looked like that ever since we first mm. saw him. You know, when we saw him in senior football at 18, and I think what was immediately apparent was the way in which he felt the game, the way in which he could, you know, find space, the way in which he could make runs off the ball. Mm. That's always been clear, and we are now seeing that, um, you know, in the Premier League at the highest level. He has been really excellent, and I guess, like you, I don't want to get too carried away. I just really hope we can sustain this form, that we can protect him sufficiently mm. physically. But he'll want to play absolutely every game and every minute at the moment because. He's kind of come from, I don't want to say he's come from nowhere, but certainly the very fringes of the squad to be an absolutely key figure in this turnaround. I thought he was really excellent last night. I mean, I think Sky gave the man of the match to Aubameyang for the two goals, mm. but I think Smith-Rowe yeah. must have run him very, very close. It would have been Smith-Rowe for me. You know, I think Aubameyang scoring two goals, obviously very uh, significant contribution and great to see him back on the score sheet. But I think in terms of the overall performance, what we what we saw from Smith Rowe was 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 better. You know, I know yeah. we, we could maybe mark it in terms of end product and what have you, but just the overall contribution to the game and the way that he played. I thought he was really bright in the first half. He was involved in that moment when uh, Saka had a shot, keeper made a save, Aubameyang followed up and probably should have scored, hit the post. Yeah, yeah, he created yeah. that chance for Aubameyang uh, as well, which he bashed over with his with his left foot. And then, you know, to step up and, and kind of continue the way that he did in the second half. It's just hugely impressive, you know. It's hard not to be excited. And I realize, you know, we've got to be cautious. We've got to to try and reel it in a bit. So I think that's I think that's important. But at the same time, it's really hard not to be excited about a young talent, a young Halen boy coming through the way he's come through and and doing what he's doing on the pitch. It's just. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. So, yeah, fingers it's exactly what you want as a fan. And mm. I know a lot is kind of made of the, the Hayland FC thing. But I do think that it is kind of helping Smith Rowe that he's got mm. Saka there, you know, and it does feel like there's something happening between those two. You know, I, it, I, I really um, can't help but get enthused over it. And I'm also just really delighted for the player on a personal level because he has had a really tricky period. It's not been plain sailing mm. for him to get to where he is now. They've been, you know, disappointing loan spell in Germany. There've been physical problems. Uh, there's been times when he's, you know, not been selected. So he's absolutely seizing the opportunity now that it's come to him. And he looks, he looks every inch a first team player for the moment, really does. 100%, 100%. I think we said it a couple of weeks ago. You, you look at a player and you see, you can see when a young player has got talent and you can see when he's got potential, but you can also see when a young player is ready. 
mm, you know, mm. properly ready for this level. And, you know, he is. He is. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you're right to point out the combinations with Saka as well. The two of them know each other very well from from the academy too. So, you know, that's... that's uh, that's a dynamic, I think, which is going to be really interesting, not just this season, but but going forward and for the future, you know, how those two will dovetail and, and what they can bring to the team in seasons to come is is mouthwatering. And they're so productive. I mean, mm. Smith Rose, I think, here we go, here's the stat, two goals and five assists in about 600 odd minutes for the first team. So mm. he's averaging, you know, above uh, a goal or assist per 90. Uh, after 10 appearances. So he is producing in every game, mm. basically. Bukayo yeah, yeah. Saka, I think, has now scored uh, three times, is it, since the Chelsea game in the league? So mm. they are, you know, they're not just sort of shining in flashes or, or looking nice, but there's no end product. There is end product with these two. And that has always been what separates them from so many other young players, that when they're called upon to produce, they have the finishing touch. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think we're very, very lucky to have them I think that Arsenal have you know a couple of diamonds in those two and they they should be building around them Mm. I I think it's as simple as that I mean it's not very often you get two players of that calibre coming through your academy at the same time no Um, and you know it's credit to the academy credit to the work that has been done Credit to, you know, the youth system that Arsenal have built. Absolutely. Everybody at Hale End, everybody with the under-23s, these guys are a credit to them. But mm. it's an absolute jackpot win for Mikel Arteta and for Edu to have two young players producing like this. For sure. Let's talk Aubameyang then. And yeah. what was your thought at halftime? I really hope he scores because if not, <laughs> that miss is going to look ugly. You know, yeah. It, not. I understand why he missed the chance. You know, it, it comes at him and it's slightly awkward. And yeah, okay. If that flies half a yard the other way, goes in off the post. We're all saying, oh, he reacted well there. But I, I, I just thought. I mean, he was getting a pelters online. I saw. Uh, yeah, like, I real saw. Stick. I saw that too at halftime. You know, he yeah. had a. He had a bad first half. You know, there's no sugarcoating that. He did have a bad first half that I think the chance that he missed, I can see all the reasons why people will talk about how difficult it was. You know, a good save from the keeper. He had to readjust at the last second. It was on his weak foot. It was a relatively tight angle. All of those things. But I I can see. But I I guarantee you he would have been hugely disappointed not oh, to put that of away course. you know absolutely as 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 much as anyone wants to rationalize the miss he would have been absolutely gutted and would have backed himself to score there same with the the smith row chance i know it was his left foot but you know he 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 whacked that one over the bar so i i think uh like you i was really hoping he would get a goal um and i didn't think it would be quite as good a goal as the one he got it was you know, there was a moment in the first half where he had not dissimilar position. It wasn't exactly the same, but it wasn't dissimilar in that he was driving into the box and he tried to go outside the defender on his left foot. And the defender did well, actually. He he marshaled him quite well. And I think the shot ended up being blocked. This time mm. he had a bit more space to run into. I mean, the the simplicity of the, the, the passing from the back. I think Cedric won a header. Lacazette first time to Partey. He gave this little shimmy, didn't he? And just left the defender or the midfielder, Newcastle midfielder, you know, grasping for dust. In the dust. Yeah. yeah. 
and a simple ball over the top into space for Aubameyang to drive on. This time there was real intent with the way he drove with the bo- uh, drove into the box, shifted on, onto his left, smacked it. I think it's one of those when you hit it with your left foot, you're, and it is your weak foot, you're just giving it some fucking leather and kind of hoping that it'll go in. I'm not sure it was the placed finish that it quite looked like at first. I agree. It came off his toe a bit. The keeper thought he was going to go across a goal, so he didn't do quite as well as he might have. But I think... With Aubameyang, we can talk about the contract, and people do talk about the contract, and that came up during the halftime break, didn't it? People talk about, well, he's got the contract, and he doesn't care, or this is what happens when you give the old players a contract and everything else. Um, And, you know, that can be true. I think the flip side of that is that when you're a 31-year-old player, and when you've been there, done that, worn the T-shirt, scored the goals season after season after season after season, you're capable perhaps of compartmentalizing a first half which didn't go well, in which you know you should have scored, and your head doesn't go down. And I think that was evident in that first goal from from Aubameyang, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I actually think it's a more difficult pass than it looks from Partey. I mean, he plays it kind of almost off the outside of his boot, as far as I can see, and it releases Aubameyang beautifully. That's something Arsenal haven't helped Aubameyang out a great deal by doing enough. You know, it was reminiscent of his goals against, uh, I would say, Liverpool in the Community Shield and the Fulham game on the opening day. Not in terms of the finish, because he went with the other finish. He went outside and went with the left foot. But just in the fact that we were able to release him into Mm. space, you know, and give him a chance to run one against one with somebody. And as he as he knocked it past that guy and he went past him, I was really <laughs> reminded of I don't know if you've ever seen Hook, Steven Spielberg's critically panned but much loved uh, Peter Pan film. <laughs> but there's a, a moment where Robin Williams remembers as that as a child he was Peter Pan and he remembers how to fly. And I was watching a very go past <laughs> this guy and I was thinking I was sort of sat there shouting, you are the pan, which is what they say in the film. And he needs to be our Peter Pan. You know, we need him to be a guy who never grows up, who never ages. Uh, And in that moment, I could believe that he was. So it was very exciting. And I loved as well, like, you know, afterwards, I've talked about this, but Aubameyang's smile and his energy and his effervescence was actually really important, I think, to the team and to the squad last season. Mm. And there were moments in that cup run where it was so clear, you know, that he was really a a, leader's a tricky word, but like the heart of the team, I would say, you know, he was the guy that everybody loved. And I remember after the cup final, you know, him walking over to the rest of the squad and the celebrations and then sort of giving him applause. Like, you know, we know you're our best player. We know you're our star. And he thrives on that. He relishes it at Mm. times. And I think it's important, you could see it in the celebrations that he kind of felt a bit like that again. I think we just, you know, I'm excited about Martinelli and what he's done on the left. I'm happy with what Lacazette's done as the central striker linking the play. But if we can get a Bamiang being a Bamiang for the second half of the season, that is far and away our best chance of kind of turning this campaign around. Yeah, he kind of got his soul back in a way, whatever I it think is, so, yeah. You know? And you could see that in the celebration as well. Uh, you know, it was quite funny. Um, and he was involved yeah. in he was involved in the second goal with Smith Rowe. Again, uh, you know, it was... 
It was quite simple, in a way. It was Leno to Partey. Partey, I think, played it to Aubameyang. Maybe there was another pass in between. I can't remember. Smith-Rowe was outside him on the left-hand side. And Aubameyang feeds Smith-Rowe. Smith-Rowe drives into the box. I mean, the the control this kid has yeah. on the ball, like, it never... It's like that Harry Enfield sketch. You know, he's got the ball, like, tied to his foot. Um, mm. It's like that. I mean, the, he's just completely in control all the time. Uh, the defender knows kind of what he's going to try and do, can't do anything about it, has a look up, sees Saka, plays the ball, perfect pass, perfect finish, 2-0... And just a really simple-looking goal, but it wasn't really. No, not at all. And, I, you know, Saka, as soon as he scores it, he points to Smith-Rowe. He knows how much he's contributed. You're so right about the, the touch and the control. There was an instance in the first half. I forget exactly what it was, but there was a long crossfield pass, mm. maybe from Partey on the diagonal. And Smith-Rowe just brought... He was on the left wing, and he just brought it into his instep with his left foot. Yeah. And it was such an immaculate touch. And again, here, it is honestly like the ball is attached to his feet. Well, I don't know who this Newcastle defender is on the right-hand side, but he, he goes inside, he goes outside. He also has that thing, Freddie Jumberg had it, the acceleration seemingly over like two yards. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, when yeah. someone gets close to him, he can separate from them very, very quickly, very easily, and his control enables him to do that. And then again, a lovely pick out off his supposedly wrong foot. I mean, he's a player who really can operate on either side, I think. And Saka tucks it away. Another really, really nice goal. Great moment between the two young players. Um, I was buzzing at that point, to be honest with you. I was sort of thinking... Uh, this is. I just was enjoying the football, and there's been a there's been a long period this season where that hasn't been the case. Yeah, know? for sure. And look, you know, it was easy at halftime to think, uh oh, nil nil. Yeah, drew nil nil with Palace. You know, first half goals. Uh, look, it's stupid maybe to say, but they kind of they mean a lot. You know, in in terms of how the game is played. If you go in a goal up at halftime, uh, you know, the, it changes the dynamic of the way the opposition play. It can mean uh, that you've got more space to play in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, so to score and then to score again relatively quickly to make it 2-0, I think was, was great. And, you know, it wasn't that I thought we were going to go on and win 5-0 or 6-0 or anything like that. It just gave mm. us that cushion. You know, the the one nil is great, but, you know, we've seen what happens in games where you've got a, a single goal lead and you know, a red card or something like that. And all of a sudden you're you're just sort of on the back foot again. So the two nil gave us that bit of breathing space. I think it also, as I said earlier, it allowed us to to be sensible with Thomas Partey. Um, True. Which is True. which was important. And then he came on. I, you know, I think that's kind of the perfect scenario in which to bring on El Nenny. It's 2-0. Yeah, keep ball. He's going to be tied. He's not going to lose it. He's not going to do anything, you know, ridiculous with it. He'll keep possession ticking over. I mean, I think he ended up with 95% pass completion, sure. you know, which is what he does. Um, whether he did much with those passes or not is not really the, the issue. You know, in those circumstances, you want to be able to just sort of not strangle the game, but just keep control of the game. And that's what we did. I think another really pleasing aspect of this game to me was the fact that at 2-0, it wasn't that we went for it to get more goals. It wasn't that we, we went hell for leather. But what we didn't do was sit on it. Mm, that's true. That's true. And you felt like there were more goals there. And the team sensed that. Um, probably Aubameyang more than anyone. And he got the third. Just, just a quick note on the second, mm. by the way. 
I am really, really impressed by how Bukayo Saka is adjusting to this role on the right-hand side. And because he's so good in every position, I think sometimes we forget or we don't acknowledge Mm. that to excel in so many different roles in such a short space of time is so remarkable. Like he's been a left-back, a central midfielder, Mm. a left-winger, now a right-winger. And, and, and the goal that he scores, I think, shows a really good understanding of that position. You know, he follows in, he, he takes up a great position in the box to finish off his left foot. Very reminiscent of some of the goals Pepe has scored from us, frankly, you know, picking up that that, that penalty box yeah. spot. Um, yeah, and there was a moment in... Yeah, go on. You're going. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there was a moment in the first half where he went down the outside uh, onto and he he went onto his right foot and mm. crossed with his right and it was yeah. really dangerous and i just thought well that's you know the unpredictability that you bring in that position is is so invaluable to us right yeah now. i mean it's it's like there's nothing complicated necessarily about what no. he does for that goal but if you look i don't know where newcastle's midfield is uh, there's a guy who's sort of ahead of him and runs off I think he looks mm. to, to pick up Lacazette and the centre half is there but he's got so much space when he's running into the box there's literally nobody within seven eight yards of him um, think the little what's his name no I mean they don't even try to get back to him and he just watches the play he watches what Smith Rowe yeah. is doing and when he needs to he just moves himself you know calmly confidently into the right position to get the ball. Fantastic. You know, there's, um, yeah, there's so much to like about that goal. Third goal, uh, put a bit of a seal on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Good combination with Saka and Cedric again. Cedric did really well uh, to keep the ball in. I mean, I think he just about kept it in, but delivered the ball from a position where uh, it becomes really difficult for Newcastle to defend it. You know, Mm -hmm. because it's so close to the goal, you can put some pace on the ball. Aubameyang, I mean, he just sticks his foot out and guides it into the net. So, um, you know, a a good third goal. And that was that was absolutely that. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought Cedric, you know, he does do very well to keep that in play and and pick out his man. And yeah, I just again, so pleased. I mean, no thoughts from me really of a a man could have gone away with a hat trick. So happy to see him score two goals. I think it will. (laughs) He went went off and they were saying he's gone straight down the tunnel. And I was going, oh, shit, he's either injured or he really needs a poo. And it turns out, I think. (laughs) Turned out it was the latter. (laughs) Thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, he had the perfect night, really. Yeah. And uh, yeah, listen, it's a really good result. I think we should say Newcastle are bad, really bad, and they're in a bad place. But we did draw with them nil-nil, you know, in normal time only yeah. a week ago. So this yeah. was much better in that regard. Absolutely. Um, so look, like I said, 13 points from 15 in the Premier League in our last five games, which is really good. And I'm feeling a lot better about what we're doing. Um, You know, and I don't want to be a buzzkill or anything like that. But I do think, you know, this this run of games is one in which we, we absolutely had to do what we did 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We had to get back on track. We had to get points on the board. What had preceded it was so bad that it was hugely important. And I'm I'm encouraged. I think the way we've played, I think some of the changes that we've made, we've talked about some of the personnel that have come in, the difference they've made, Aubameyang is back on the score sheet, Smith, Rowe, Saka, all of those things, uh, certain players not playing, uh, Partey being back. I think it's it's great that we've done this. And I think when we look at the fixtures to come and how difficult they are and how tricky they are, I think it's brilliant that we've got this platform to build on, this little bit of momentum, this little bit of positivity, a bit more mm. confidence back in the team. But, you know, it's, it's, it's now hugely important that we continue to build on that, you know? I, I don't think we should get carried away too much with what's happened. Like, be pleased about it, be excited about it, all of those things. But let's remember where we were and where we are and where we still are in the table and that there's a lot still to come and that this hopefully is are the ingredients for going on and, and having a much better second half of the season. Mm. But I just think it's it's important to be a little bit circumspect, maybe not the right word, realistic about <laughs> realistic about where we've been where we are how we've got there and what is still to come do you know what i mean without being a a, a negative sure, nancy sure. in any way sure. let's try not to get too carried away about what we've done because there's a lot more uh, a lot more challenging stuff on the horizon definitely and i think you know, as much as our form has been good in recent games, the fixture list has been favourable. We were all mm. looking at this run of games and thinking, as you say, we needed to do well in it. We needed to turn this around. We have done it. You know, it was a requisite and we've we've met that demand. But there's tougher games coming up. We've got some questions about some of those, I think, in, mm -hmm. in part two. Um, but at least, you know... Uh, at least we've got reason to be yeah. hopeful yeah. about the second half of this season. And, you know, it feels a lot better. Um, even I, And even though it's a slightly false position with Aston Villa having four games in hand already, which is quite remarkable, uh, to be in the top half, it does mm. make a hell of a difference to, you know, when they, on Sky Sports or whatever it is, show the Premier League table, they tend to show it in halves, you know, they show yeah. you the first 10 and then the second 10. You want to be in that first 10 as a bare minimum. Right? Mm. And, uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, we've spent yeah. most of the season in the bottom half of the table and that's not yeah. that's not good enough for a club like Arsenal. So that we're going in the right direction, is really encouraging. When you look at it, we're, what, uh, seven points off fifth. You know, there is some light, uh, I'm not going to say at the end of the tunnel, but you can see how things are moving in the right direction. But there's no prizes for being 10th after 19 games. You know, we we sure. we have to just keep it going, and and fingers crossed they can do that. And some of the positive aspects of of what's happened in the last five games can carry into those more more difficult fixtures. And and look, the squad is being streamlined, and and all of that. So look, it 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 does it does augur well, but there's there's work still to do. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the way, yeah. Aubameyang can still do the flip. I was delighted to see it there. You know, it was another moment where I was like, oh yeah, remember him? Remember all this? <laughs> there was a touch of that to last night and I hope that that wasn't just a flicker. You know, I hope that we see it more consistently. Well, look, thankfully he did the flip and he landed, didn't land on his back or something a like as that. As he went for it, I was thinking like, 
at your age, mate, be careful. <laughs> I, I, I would have written that into his contract. No flips. No, <laughs> no flips. flips. You're please. 31 years of age. We're paying you a lot of money. No flips. But look, hey, that's just me. Uh, catastrophizing, I think, is the word they use there. All right. Will we take a break? Yes, let's. Let's take a break. And we will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Before we get into the questions, James, we asked a question on whatever day it was, Friday when we did the other the post-Palace game, uh, to win socks from our friends at soccerclub.com. Mm-hmm. And the question uh, that you put was, who did Mikel Arteta tackle? The answer was... Andros Townsend. Andros Townsend. Thank you to all of you who entered the competition. The five winners chosen at random by the random number generator are Harry Hay, Sophie Barrett, Sean Faherty, Tom Pickle, Pickle Rick, and also... Ben, I can't read my writing, James. I cannot read my writing. (laughs) Congratulations, Ben. It's Ben. uh, I've got it here. All the Bens listening to this now are going, please be me. Please. It's Ben Taylor. So well done to you, Ben Taylor. I will give all of you guys an email. We'll get your details. We'll get the socks sent out to you. If you want to buy these lightning blue socks based on our 95 away kit, you can go to soccerclub.com and use the code arsecast10 at checkout. And there is a link in the description of this podcast uh, so you can follow it there soccerclub.com thank you to you guys for the socks right time to get on with the questions do you want to go first or will i go first uh, you go first. Okay. I like this observation uh, from Jithin Krishnan on the Discord. He said, do you think the referee made a mistake awarding the foul throw against Cedric, having assumed it was Bellerin on that side of the pitch? I think it's quite funny because uh, that wasn't his first foul throw <laughs> of the game. Right. There was another one, I think, in the first half. I was looking at it going, Ooh, you were a bit lucky to get away with that one. But the question uh, I have in general uh, comes from Alex Venables on Twitter. He says, is Cedric's performance yesterday enough to warrant more starting opportunities given how poor Bellerin has been at times this season and there are a lot of questions you know along the lines of 
why do you hate Cedric so much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, based on his display last night, how do we reassess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought he had a good second half, Cedric. I thought in the first half he got into some decent spaces and didn't really deliver on them. And I thought he improved in that respect. Obviously, he got the assist. There was that great uh, little sort of drag back, yeah. yeah, nutmeg thing, yeah, which was really nice touch. Um, and I thought he was decent. You know, I'm not going to say I thought he was sensational because I think that would be over the top. But I thought. He was pretty good. Yeah, the good game. Uh, yeah, and I think that's really good to, to see that. And I think it means, you know, I, I think he sort of did exactly what you would want him to do. I kind of feel the same about him as I do about Pablo Marie, that he sort of came in and played as you would hope for a backup player to play. Um, but nor am I necessarily thinking, right, well, we must cash in on Bellerin and unleash Cedric game by game yeah uh, I think there's I a- think there's a tendency when someone plays well to be like well therefore the person they replaced is no longer good and I sort of think that's not wouldn't be accurate in yeah. this case I think that's true. I think there's, there is a short-term element to how we view player performances and like the guy who comes in and scores a couple of goals means that the guy who's not scored a few goals is all of a sudden rubbish. I mean, you know, there's like going back to Aubameyang, there was a lot of talk about dropping him, about leaving him out, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Understandably, I get it. You know, when a player doesn't score and a striker doesn't score, you're looking at it. But does he mean, does it mean he's like terrible now? No. I don't think so. I think, well, you know, I will absolutely hold my hands up and say I thought Cedric had a good game last night. Like you, I think his second half was a lot better than his first half. Uh, you know, the, 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 the assist that he got, great end product. And if he can come in and play a bit more like that, then great. You know, it provides competition for Bellerin. Two things I would say on this, though. One is that I think perhaps the Bellerin has been terrible narrative is not quite accurate. Like, I didn't think he was great against Crystal Palace from an attacking perspective, but I don't think he was, you know, poor defensively. Um, so I think that that tends to get overblown a little bit for me. Anyway, I'm not saying everybody else has to feel like that, just for me. Yeah. This was Cedric's first Premier League start of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a reason for that, right? So... Let's be happy he came in and did well. If he can push Bellerin to be better, great. If when he plays, he can play as well as that, then also great. But it was one performance. So let's just try and keep it in in some kind of perspective. That's that's all I would say. Like, I'm happy if he comes in and plays well. Yeah. I, 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 I think the presence of Cedric, the signing of Cedric, was really one made to motivate mm. Bellerin and to provide a bit of competition. And I, I am increasingly convinced. Do you remember Mikel Arteta kind of waxing lyrical about Cedric's ability in the final third? Mm. I, I really believe that that was for Bellerin's ears. That's strongly what I think. Um, and I think to a certain extent it worked because I think Bellerin began to be more productive, began to look better on the mm. ball, began to be more dangerous in in the attack. And it, it made some people say, well, Arteta was wrong when he said that. But I don't think he was wrong. I think he was trying to light a fire under Hector mm. Bellerin, a player who has felt very comfortable as a first-choice player at Arsenal for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, in that respect, I guess, to, to an extent, you'd say it was a successful move. I think we have seen better from Bellerin. I agree the criticism is a little bit over the top. Um, 
And I say that as someone who didn't think he was good against Newcastle. Mm. But, you know, good players have worse games. You mean Palace? Uh, Palace, sorry, yeah, yeah Palace. Yeah. Um, can I just follow up on that? Because we've got another one yeah. from the Discord, uh, from Boom Shakalaka, who says, uh, what did you make of Cedric being picked ahead of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who wasn't even in the squad? With the benefit of hindsight, should we have sold him when we had a chance in the summer? And Dinaidu98 says, how bad of a decision was it to keep Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Um, I mean, yeah, Mikel Arteta talked about him after the game. Mm. And well, let me just get the quotes up here. Uh, He said he needs to compete for his place like everybody else. There have been a lot of players who've been left out of the squad and they have less minutes. Ainsley has played some minutes in the league. He's played a lot of minutes in the Europa League. He's played in the Emirates FA Cup. I wonder, did he say he's played in the Emirates FA Cup? (laughs) Do you think he did? I I don't know. We are sponsored by Emirates, so, you know, know, keeping the guys happy. I just wonder if he did. Uh, He's played in the Barclays Premier League. He's played in the Papa John's. Yeah. Anyway, he said he's played semi-finals and finals for us, so it's about him, his performances, and how much he wants to be in the team. I think he had a bad game against Crystal Palace, but I think there were mitigating circumstances in that he was, you know, he was played on, you know, out of position nominally mm-hmm. as as left back. But I'm not sure some of the aspects of his game that were bad were due to him being at left back. If you know what I mean, not so, all of them. No, no. Not all of them. There were other kind of aberrations that couldn't be explained by mm. that. I mean, we said it last week, didn't we? I, I, I think I said I, I just I'm not confident it's going to work out for Ainsley Maitland-Niles at Arsenal. And if anything, it feels like there's been a bit of a stay of execution in, in him not leaving last summer, which I I thought thought might happen. Well, was it the wrong decision or a bad decision to keep him? Though I don't believe that it. I don't was. think so. No, I don't think so. I think you've got to bear in mind a few factors. First of all, at that time, we were playing predominantly with a back three and we were playing with wing backs, which immediately creates mm. more need for Maitland-Niles than playing with a four at the back than we, than we currently do. Second of all, there wasn't huge money on the table. Like, Wolves came in at about 15 million and as far as I understand it, never really came back. And I think if you sold Angelique Maitland-Niles tomorrow, you could make more than that. Yeah, so, he's an England international now. So he's an England international. He's got more Premier League experience. Um, I, I, you know, I think Arsenal were right to say, well, if that is where the bidding is, he's mm. not going to go because this is not a case where his value is going to diminish. I think he's. I think Arsenal are right to say that he's worth more than that on the market, and I, and I, I believe he mm. is, and he will be, and I kind of think he probably will be sold in the summer. I mean, I think he's got. 18 months left on his deal, something like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, decision time, like, you know, like yeah. with Eddie, for example, as well. So, I, yeah, I don't think it was a bad decision to keep him. Uh, you know, he has contributed a bit this season. Um, I think that... Provides the mo- so much cover, you know, that yeah. there's a value always in having him around. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that he hasn't played in midfield at all mm. pretty much tells you that that's not where Mikel Arteta sees him, you know? Yeah. And and the the idea that this is something we should try isn't going to happen. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where Maitland Niles himself wants to be or wants to play or what does he want from his career. I mean, he, you could go back a couple of years and he talked about how he wants to be a winger and yeah. you know contribute in the final third. And I think you know there might be teams where he could do that. You could say there are teams where he could probably play at right back and have a 
a good, decent career at right back, depending if that's what he wants or not. But yeah, I don't think it was a bad decision to keep him. I think we will and should get more for him than Wolves were offering. And if it helps in the summer rebuild, then fair enough. I mean, I think that's kind of what you got to do with young, with, with certain young players who come in, they do well, they make X amount of appearances. I mean, he's well over 100 appearances now for Arsenal. He's, you know, been part of an FA Cup winning team. He, he played a really good uh, role in the semi-final and the final. And if he's got to a point where we feel like either he's not quite the fit we need for the team or he's not going to de- uh, develop in the way we we want or need for this team, then you make a decision. You sell, you take the money, you reinvest. And mm. it's not to sound harsh or anything for, for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but it does look as if that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can't see him going in January just because no. with the fullback situation that we have, especially at left back, I think we need as much cover as we can muster, even if it's not ideal. Um, he did, of course, play in midfield in that Europa League game, didn't he? And, and really shone. I think there were a couple maybe. Uh, but but the fact that Arteta's mm. never translated that into the Premier League, I think, shows you what he regards as his ceiling and the limits on his potential in that position. I still think if Ainsley Maitland-Niles was really focused and determined to be a right back that he could have a really, really good career, uh, potentially even with Arsenal mm. as a right back. Um, I just don't necessarily get the sense that he has the appetite for it. I mean, I think if Hector Bellerin had left in the summer, um, which was a possibility, there is a real chance that Maitland Niles could have had that position, you mm. know, as his own. Mm. Uh, but it just doesn't seem to have panned out that way. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Wolves were looking at him as a right wing back. It'll be interesting to see if buyers do come in, what mm. they see in Maitland-Niles. Yeah, for sure. Um, Shall I have another question? Why not? Okay, so Dom says, Dom C0801 says, given the recent performances of Emil Smith-Rowe, do you think the club should prioritise signing a cheaper rotational number 10 option, like a Ryan Christie, rather than a more expensive option like Buendia and give the keys to ESR? See, this is a really interesting one. Like, I can't talk about Ryan Christie in any great detail because, you know, I don't really know mm. uh, how well he's performed for Celtic. I know he got a, a had a really good season last season in terms of goals and assists. A bit more uh, difficult this season because I think Celtic have been struggling. It, it definitely mm, complicates is the wrong word. But it probably changes your thinking a little bit when you see someone like Smithrow come in and do what he's been doing. And you can see how comfortable he is, how ready he is, how how he fits with some of the players around him, what his long-term future could be at the club. Like, you know, he's got two years left on his deal. If you go out and buy a player who, you know, for 40, 50 million pounds, who's going to play in the same position as him, how do you really convince him to commit his future to the club. You know what I mean? It's It's really complicated and multi-layered. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have backup or competition for Smith Rowe. I think we absolutely should. And we need it because I think there's a danger, as we've said before, of placing too heavy a burden on a young player. But you have to try and find that balance where the player 
still sees and feels like there's a pathway to regular first-team football. And, yeah, I think that does have to inform your recruitment strategy in a way. Like, I suspect that Mikel Arteta and Edu's conversations about what they do in the transfer market for this position are different now than they were six weeks ago. Would you? How can they not be? Yeah. So, you know, what exactly the right strategy is, like we talked a couple of weeks ago, I think we had a question, didn't we, like about should Arsenal go and get a world-class number 10? But I mean, mm-hmm. A, can we afford a world-class number 10? And is a world-class number 10 going to join Arsenal at this moment in time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he is. So we, we, have, to ha- we have to go at it a different way anyway. So whether that's a combination of Smith Rowe plus somebody in, in inverted commas cheaper, then maybe that is the way to do it. But I think you have to be very mindful of the two things, protecting Smith Rowe, but also maintaining the, the involvement and the pathway to regular first team football. And yes. that's not something I necessarily, you know, we can all sit on the sidelines and we all do it to an extent in terms of managers and technical directors and recruitment strategies. And we can be as critical as we want to be. You know, that's, that's what we do as fans. But I don't necessarily envy a manager and a technical director dealing with a situation like this one. And I know, you know, again, it's early with Smith Rowe, five games this season, blah, blah, blah. But you've, you've got to recognise what you've got. Yeah, it is a bit tricky. You know, the, the goalposts have moved slightly, haven't they, since yeah. plans were set in December, probably, for January. Um, the name of Ryan Christie is an interesting one, by the way. I don't know of any definite interest in the player from Arsenal's end, but... Uh, was he one of those guys that you identified in your yeah. statsy thing? Yeah. Yeah. So we did a thing for the Athletic where we sort of put in, you know, a kind of, we put together a statistical profile for the kind of player Arsenal might want to sign as a creative midfielder. And then we kind of cross-referenced that with, you know, price and availability. And his name was one of the ones that, you know, I wasn't expecting necessarily mm. to come up. I would say Celtic fans will tell you they've had a really, really difficult season and he is one of the players who has been criticised in that season. 11 assists Uh, and four goals this season from 28 appearances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, the signing of Kieran Tierney will make anyone sort of double-take someone coming down from Celtic, do you know what I mean? And think, well, there could be talent in Britain that we're not necessarily exploiting. I think Tierney is a pretty exceptional talent. Mm. I don't know if Ryan Christie is at that level. He's talented for sure. He scores goals, um, has done in the past. He's capable of some pretty spectacular ones too. Uh, And he would be relatively cheap. I think his contract expires in at the end of next season maybe and there's currently no no extension agreed so you know you'd get him for a reasonable price probably but in terms of what do Arsenal do now I I think that honestly they're not yet in a position to know if they should be giving the keys to Smith Rowe or if they should be you know bringing someone in Mm. who's going to relegate Smith Rowe to a substitute and so I, I really think they should only really be committing to a loan signing at this point. Because you I mean, think they you mean in January? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because I think it's I think we don't know enough to make this bigger decision. Mm. Um and there's not enough at stake 
in our Premier League season, really. Like, I, I don't think it's a situation where it's like, well, buy or we're going to get relegated. Clearly not. You know, buying someone might help us achieve some of our goals, but really, uh, it's mm. going to be one player. I don't know how much difference it will necessarily make. So I think, I think do something that gives you more time to figure out what you've got mm. and what you need. But maybe people think that's a waste of a window. I just, I just fear that we're at the start of something with Smith Rowe, but it is such a small sample size that making a big commitment at this point is is risky mm. either way. Well, yeah, we've said it. Um, and I don't think you need to be Einstein to, to point out that Arsenal have to be efficient with the money that they have available to them whenever they have that money available to spend. Mm-hmm. Like you can't blow it in January on a short term Oh, maybe if we get this guy, we'll take a punt, we'll spend some transfer money, we'll give them a big contract, and we might get into fifth or sixth. I mean, we might get into fifth or sixth with what we've got. I mean, it's a long shot, but not beyond the realms of possibility. I wouldn't put a great deal of money on it. Um, but if that if that gamble doesn't come off and you've got the wrong player going into a new season, it's just it's a disaster. So... We, yeah, I mean, hypothetically, we could look quite a different team in the second half of the season. I mean, Smith Rowe has come in and fulfilled a need um, in a way that was not necessarily anticipated. Thomas Partey, as I said, mm. you know, feels like he's just starting out. And if Aubameyang is refreshed and revived, that's a very different proposition too. So, mm. without wishing to go all Arsene Wenger on your ass, we might uh, <laughs> we might look at, we might look like a a team full of signings kind of anyway I don't know I don't know I, I I am very relaxed about whether or not Arsenal buy anybody in this window I'd like them to get a goalkeeper and provide the security in that position but other than and may, maybe left back but I think the creative player is such a big call I think a temporary solution is really the only one I'd, I'd say with any certainty mm. I'd be comfortable with yeah. By the way, yeah. on Smith Rowe, B- mm. McBeardface says, which is better, low socks like Smith Rowe or high socks like Henri? I'm going to go low socks. Like you Smith like the Rowe. low socks? I like the low socks. Personal preference, it might be. I know not everyone will agree with this, but for me, low socks, I always, I always prefer low. I never liked socks over the knees. Mm. I never quite understood that. Like, why have you got socks over your knees? What's going on here? This isn't this isn't right. So, you know, to take nothing away from Thierry Henry or his legacy, you know, that's obviously been a huge disappointment to me personally yeah. down the they years. They were essentially <laughs> stockings, weren't they, that Thierry Henry was wearing? Yeah, where, where's your garter belt, mate? Yeah. Um, so for me, socks down around the ankles, always been a big fan of that. I think I mentioned Liam Brady in the 79 FA Cup final, you know, last few minutes of the game his socks are down around his ankles and and he uh, drives the team to to beat Manchester United in that game yeah I just prefer it and actually I prefer playing like that as well five aside I I never I never wear never wear shin pads or anything in five aside short socks or socks down around the ankles I like it I don't know there's a freedom there's a freedom to the way you can play so there is something endearingly casual about it, I have mm. to say. You know, just yeah. looks like he's there for a kick around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, would, I agree. The freedom. I, I, I don't like the idea of wearing those high socks like Henri. 
But, you know, I have very chunky thighs, so maybe that's why. Uh, they pro- at least it stopped them chafing. So, uh, okay, here's a question from Matt at Turbo Erbo. What is the minimum points total you'd be satisfied with from the next five games? Oh, well, we've God. had some good form lately. It's been against some bad teams. And okay. the next run of games is much tougher. Tell me. Five games in the league, is okay. it, I guess? Give me the, give me the fixtures. Southampton away. Southampton away. Okay. Uh, Man United at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolves away. Yeah. Uh, Villa away. Yeah. And then Leeds at home. It's probably a... FA Cup game against Southampton as well. They're playing tonight. Southampton away. Yeah, that'll be on Saturday. Southampton away. I mean, I think we should... That's a game we should draw at least. They're not bad. They're not bad. But I think, you know, given beat the momentum that we've us. got going yeah, into this did. game, they did beat us. But we were down... Were we down to 10 men? Were we down to 10 we men? We usually are. Game? Yeah, we were. Was Gabriel, that when Gabriel got sent off? Yeah. Yeah, because it was the walkout. Yeah, you hold down walk. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think we should draw there based on the momentum that we have. United at home. Like, I'd be disappointed if we lost that game. I know they're going quite well. We can't have United winning the league. We can't have United win the league. I think a draw. And then, I'm sorry, but I'm looking at the next three as as winnable. Wolves away. I mean, Wolves aren't what they were this season. No. They're having a disappointing campaign. Yeah. Villa, they've had a nice rest. The 10th place playoff. Yeah. I mean, Villa are going to have to play a lot of games in a very short period of time as well. So if we can take some points from Villa. So what's the minimum? I'm looking at 9, 10. I mean, I think 10 points from those five games would be a decent return. I know it's three not wins and a draw. Three wins and a draw, or you know, if we could take eleven, a couple of wins. You know, if you could average out two points a game from those five fixtures, you're probably going to have a disappointment yeah. somewhere. But I think it would be a reasonable return based on the quality of the opposition and the fact that what three of those games are away. Like Leeds at home, we should be, be winning. Good. Leeds at home, we should be winning. I agree. I agree. Mm. Um, I think ten would be good. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I could. I think you can even make a case, given how bad we've been this season, that nine will do us okay in terms mm. of the table. But ten would be good. I mean, it, look, it doesn't end there. After that, we've got a very big week with uh, Benfica away, and then yeah. Man City. Yeah, that is that is. Yeah, that's going to be. But uh, you know, I think with Man City, and then yeah, yeah. Look, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, we knew that, though, and, you know, we've put ourselves in a position where we're more likely to get something from these games than we were a few weeks ago. So that, for me, is is the encouraging thing. What's quite funny is that we, we've we played all our really tough away games against sort of the big six, most mm. of these games now at home, but we've managed to do that in a season in which we have become terrible at home. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like, I don't know if it's good or bad at this point. Yeah, I mean, it was weird a bit last night, wasn't it? Because, you know, the first half... I do wonder what, 
what the presence of fans would have made that first half like. Because it was disappointing mm. and, and everything else, but we did have that that chance for Aubameyang. I wonder if crowd reaction to things like the chances that we have would have made a, a little bit of a difference. It just, you know, it doesn't feel the same, obviously. It's redundant to say that, I know, but, you know, when you win, you don't have that outpouring of, you know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what I miss more than anything. Not, yeah. not the sound of people cheering when goals go in, but that roar at the final whistle, that appreciation from the fans when you've won a game and, you know, the, the sort of back and forth between fans and players, you know, that acknowledgement of, of winning a game, I think is the thing that, that I most miss. Oh, I mean, listen, we're making a go of football and, you know, we're doing the podcast and we're all pretending like it's real football. But for me, it just isn't mm. without the fans. Mm. It just isn't. And actually, as bad as this season has been at times, I'm really optimistic that at some point I'll compartmentalise it into sort of the weird period where football didn't feel like football. Because I'm desperate for, for supporters to be back in stadiums. For me, that is such a huge part of the whole experience mm. um, and the pageant of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not optimistic of it being soon, but, mm. you know. Okay, here's one from Sammy Tacos on the Discord, who says, um, is Edu beginning to show us what he can do? Ozil gone, Kalasinac loan, Saliba loan, Macy sold. So far, so good. And Axwell, also on the Discord, says, are you happy with Edu's efforts to trim the squad? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, I have heard that kind of Edu... Well, Eddie was kind of pretty much the the key man, really, I think, in helping get these Ozil negotiations done. On the other side of that, I am... How can I put it? I, 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 it is it that hard to go, well, here you go, we're going to pay here, you off? Here's your money. Yeah, I mean, the specifics of that will come out, I'm sure, about, you know, who exactly paid what and who got what and what percentage of what they were owed it was. But, you know... It, getting Kalasinac to go at this point when you're saying, well, we're not going to demand a loan fee for him. Mm. It's probably easier than when you're actively trying to sell someone and recoup some money. Arsenal are getting rid of players more easily than they have done. Um, but they are sort of more willing to compromise than they've ever been. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. It's not, it's not like we're recouping loads of cash here, but yeah. give us anything. We'll take any. Yeah. 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 But from a technical perspective, I'm glad that someone has taken the decision to draw a line under some of these cases. Like, I think when you look at the first half of our season, the composition of the squad was problematic. It was literally too big. Um, and I think that was always going to breed discontent. And I think it was always going to breed mm. problems. Mm. And of course, there were reasons in the summer that it was difficult to move people on. It was is difficult now, but I'm glad that someone, whether it's Arteta or Edu or whoever it might be, I mean, you'd like to think it was Edu. It's kind of his job. Mm. Said, Do you know what? This isn't healthy. This cannot continue. We may have to financially compromise. We may have to accept things we wouldn't otherwise accept. But we are going to fix the composition of this squad mm. now. That is good. Um, and as regards the Ozil situation, I'm sure my feelings reflect that of a lot of Arsenal fans, which is that there's a muddle of feelings. You know, there's sadness at the way it's panned out. There's regret. 
but above and beyond all else there's tremendous relief because this was hugely unhealthy hugely unhelpful um pretty toxic to have a player engaged in like a public uh social media pr you know war basically with the club i think that was bad for everybody um and though lots of people will try and present what's happened in terms of his release being agreed as a victory i still look at this as a situation where frankly everybody lost i've really got nothing to add to that i think you're you're spot on Spot on. Um, okay, here is a question, uh, just to sort of a, a comment on, on what Edu's doing. I think he has to convince people still yeah. that he is the right man for the job or, or that the job he's doing is is a good one. Um, you know, we, we do have to trim the squad. He's made some uh, successes in that regard. Cautious optimism from my perspective. I think there's still a, a long way to go. But obviously, if we can have a more efficient squad size and everything else, then then that can only be a good thing. And I think, you know, Kalasinac gone, Ozil gone, Saliba's loan, I think, is, you know, one of the more important parts of that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, you know, to make sure that he gets playing time. He does seem to be getting that at, at, uh, at Nice, even though the results there are, are not particularly great um mm-hmm. sort of in at the deep end i think he is there in in defensive terms but you know that will hopefully stand him in good stead when he returns to us in the summer so there's still a little way to go in this window isn't there you know the 19th of january so there's still just under two weeks before the window closes there may be more to come whether it's incoming or outgoing or, or loans or whatever it might be so you know we might be in a better position to judge uh, at the end of of this particular window so yeah Here's the question that I was going to ask you, if only I could find it. Uh, Lewis, who's at Lewis underscore Amy, says, Should Balagoon look at the opportunities of Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka and the ages of Lacazette and Aubameyang and think he has an amazing chance to break through? His only competition is Enketia in the long run. And if he doesn't back himself against that, then do we even want him? Uh, Eddie's played about... 20 minutes of Premier League football in the last month um, and just similar slight, slightly similar one from the Discord from Danny Slats who says uh, my question is with the suggestion of Arsenal not having much money to spend Balagoon apparently out the door oh no this is a completely different one he's talking about Lacazette giving, uh, giving a new contract to Lacazette so let's deal with let's deal with the Balagoon uh, situation first yeah um, I don't hold out much optimism for him staying at Arsenal. I have to be honest about that. I, I just think all the signs, to me, point in one direction. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there'll be a late turnaround and I'll be proved wrong. But if I had to call it now, I'd say he won't be here. And I think the fact that he's not involved at this point, to me, is kind of indicative that the club sense that you know and and that they kind of feel like well why should we pick him he's not going to stay um it's it's a catch-22 isn't it because he can always say well they didn't pick me um but i don't think they are getting anywhere really in the contract talks and i think all the time talks are proceeding with other clubs abroad as they're permitted to yeah do you know what like i 
I know what the question is saying. Like, but does Balogun back himself to oust uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette? I don't think his only competition is in Ketia, by the way. I also think he's probably competing with Gabriel Martinelli, maybe in, in the long run, potentially in that position, which is, you know, fairly stiff competition. But I also think if he's thinking, I need to be involved, I need to get minutes, and he goes somewhere where he gets those minutes, I think it's difficult to begrudge any young player doing that. And I think there is bravery too. We might not like it as fans, but there is bravery too in leaving a big club like Arsenal to go and play elsewhere and try and make Mm. your way. Um, you know, the Jaden Sancho example is always the one that's going to get cited, but there are plenty of others. You know, there's, uh, I mean, the guy at Valencia, Musa, who's come out of the Arsenal Academy, is another example of someone who, who went somewhere to get first team opportunities and mm. is making a positive impression. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I just think it hasn't it hasn't worked out and it's sort of unfortunate. And I, he's clearly a really gifted player and I think he'll have a good career. But I think he's decided to take a different path. Maybe Arsenal could have done more in the past. Maybe they could have sold him previously and ensured they got more money for him. I think there were mistakes made, you know, in the previous regime, probably. But right now, uh, like I say, I think it's just headed one way. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a question here from Robert Wright, who's at RW10UK, said, if you were a betting man, would you be Balogun or Balogun? And I think it's much more the latter. I think Clive uh, on Twitter last night uh, made the point as well. You know, sign the contract, you'll get a chance to play. We have two strikers not getting any younger. He has the ability to play for Arsenal. Commit, then play. And there, I think you're right to say it's a catch-22. You know, he is still a young player. He doesn't really have a track record. I would love him to stay. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I can understand why if he's not going to sign. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's just on him as well. I think some of the contract offers made to him in the past uh, were not particularly great. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, now the contract guy is gone and we've got a new one coming in. So maybe it's something we're going to learn from. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, it's kind of Edu doing the talking there, yeah. and it's you know maybe not. It's not the same as having a guy who's an expert in that field. I think it's um, a, it, it is a, an interesting one from an Arsenal perspective, though. You're right to point out there's Martinelli, but you know Aubameyang is 31. Lacazette, the uh, the question from Danny Slats about whether or not his form should uh, give him a new deal. I don't think it should. To be honest, I'm I'm happy that he's playing well, but it doesn't change my mind on the fact that we should probably move him on with a year left on his contract this summer. So, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, there's a real balancing act here because you've got two older strikers, you've got Martinelli, but Eddie's got a year left on his contract in the summer. That's going to demand a decision. And, you know, I think he's done okay, but he hasn't done... Um, as much as, well, he hasn't performed to a level where you're going, oh my God, we've got to sign him. We've got to sign him to a new contract. No, right? he's not been exceptional no. at all, no. So then uh, then you create, yeah. if, if if Eddie goes and Balagoon goes, you create a gap. You create a big gap in, in and Lacazette goes, for example, you create a big gap. You know, so... Just, with Balagoon, I, I feel like... <sighs> I feel like his him getting first team minutes now is a red herring 
Like, I think at 19, with the limited experience he has, I don't think it's the case that he should be knocking on the door of the starting 11. I think the real thing he should be doing is playing regular football out on loan somewhere. Mm. But but obviously Arsenal are going to be reticent to sanction that at a point where he's <laughs> got six months left on his contract and he's just putting himself in the shop window for a free transfer somewhere else. But but really, the conversation they should be having, in my opinion, with Balogun's representatives mm. is not, OK, we're going to sign you to a new contract and guess what? You're going to get a bit of game time in the Europa League. It should be, we're going to sign you to a new contract and you're going to go and play in the championship for a full season. And then let's see what you are. Then yeah, let's yeah, see yeah, yeah, your yeah, ability. Yeah. yeah, I mean, securing his future doesn't mean he goes straight into the first team. No, there's there's still a pathway and there's still a way of laying that plan out for somebody in a way that is attractive. Um, and and I, and I think I think the player would surely understand that. You know, you'd like to think because uh, you know you're right. Pamela and Lacazette, they're the wrong side of you know 28 or whatever age they are, and they. You know, there is going to be, there are going to be opportunities there in the future, especially if Nketia goes, but he mm. needs more experience. And and I think, unfortunately, it's a kind of stalemate now where Arsenal are going to say, well, why should we play you if you won't commit to us? And he's going to say, well, why should I commit to you if you if won't If you're play not going to play me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, stalemate kind of situation, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what we get there. Mm. But I'm not optimistic, like I say. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Mark Bennett, proud gooner. Obviously, winning helps dressing room atmosphere, but now a certain clique seems to have been dismantled. Does it seem there is more of a togetherness in the squad? I don't know. I mean, we're only looking from the outside, so we can't say with any certainty or with any assurance that that's the case, you know? Um, I, I think when you do have a, a, a group that's too big, it is more difficult to create a unity or togetherness, whatever you want to call it. I know Emile Smith-Rowe talked about that uh, specifically in his post-match interview. He said there's a real togetherness now. And, Mm. you know, you could read into that that there wasn't before. Maybe that's not the case. Um, You know, I just think a smaller squad, it's easier to manage a smaller group, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You've fewer... I mean, some of the players who are going weren't really playing you know Kalasinac barely played uh, Mesut Ozil we know was out of the squad completely uh, Socrates out of the squad Mustafi not really playing and I think the Mustafi Kalasinac Ozil triumvirate you know they're a they're a big personalities on the training ground mm-hmm. um, for better or worse and I think that when you've got experienced players in the later stages of their careers who aren't playing, I think there is a danger of... I just don't think that's a healthy situation at any football club. Not just Arsenal. I'm not pinning it on those individuals themselves. I think it's human nature and all the rest. But if you were to say to somebody, right, you've got a squad of players and you've got three, four guys here who are really pissed off because they're not playing, they want to play, but they're not, and they know they're not, and their deals are coming to an end, and all of that, you know, that cocktail of ingredients is just not healthy. Not healthy. So I'm, I'm not saying anyone's being a troublemaker or anything like that. I just don't think it's a healthy kind of situation. You know, if you had a big lump on your toe, 
and it was irritating, but you didn't do anything about it. You could probably live with the lump on your toe. Sure. But you're better off without the lump. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think clique is a really uh, pejorative term, isn't yeah. it? But I think all all squads have different kind of social groups, mm. you know, and uh, that's natural and normal and nothing in itself to worry about. Yeah. I think it's it's more what you said. When people are on the fringes and when they're unhappy, um, that's when it's not a good situation for anybody. And I think, you know, as we touched on in the Edu question, I think they are addressing that now. So that's positive. All right. Well, look, I think we uh, I think we should leave it there for now mm-hmm. for this episode. Um, we've got a FA Cup game on Saturday against probably Southampton and then a midweek game against also Southampton uh, in the Premier League. So uh, those double headers are always are they interesting? I hate them. I hate, <laughs> I hate when you play a team twice in quick succession or three times. You know, I just yeah, it's I, it's weird, isn't it? It's odd for it to sort of come mm, back to back in this way with Newcastle yeah. so close, and then and then Southampton. Wasn't there a time um, we used to we like a load of games against Chelsea back to back? Yeah, think. We, I think we played them in the uh, League Cup semi final or something, maybe, or was it the Premier? I don't know. I don't know. We we did have that. Um, mm. But listen, I, it might be interesting because I wonder how different the 11s will be at the FA Cup. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, League. you're going to have to look at getting players like Gabriel back into the team. Um, yeah. I think you're looking at getting Pepe into the team and Willian into the team, which nobody wants to hear, of course. And I don't particularly want to see it, but I, I think the schedule that we have means that, and where we are, by the way, means that Mikel Arteta's job, as unpopular as certain aspects of of it might be, is to get more from players that he hasn't got a great deal out of this season. And that's Pepe and that's Willian. And, you know, like I said, I don't particularly uh, like um, anything about Willian or the deal or anything like it. But he's here. So if we want to achieve what we want to achieve, part of Arteta's job is to get more out of him. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'll see some 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 fair rotation for the for the FA Cup game. That's for sure. Definitely, That's for sure. definitely. All right, we will. And, and and yeah, listen. Maybe it won't be Southampton. You never know. By the time you're listening to this, come on, Shrewsbury Town. We, we might have a fixture against Shrewsbury. You never know. All right. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Of course, we will have uh, an Arscast extra on Monday. Regular Arscast on Friday. We'll do some more stuff on Patreon this week as well. If you want to sign up, patreon.com forward slash Arsbog. As ever, though, thank you very much indeed for listening. If you want to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app, uh, you know, lots of them allow you to do reviews. Please feel free. Uh, we enjoy those. And thank you for your kind words. Uh, so until the next one, take it easy. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.